0: <laughs> so the kids are uh, going to be dismissed now for their Sunday school. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to First Samuel chapter twenty. We'll be looking at First Samuel chapter twenty, verses one to forty-two. If you don't have your Bible, the text is printed in the bulletin on pages two and three. There's a place to write notes on page four. So give ear. This is God's word. Then David fled from Nioth in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it. You shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It's not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do it for you. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at table with the king, but let me go that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to return or to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says, Good, it will be well with your servant. But if he's angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, Far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, wouldn't I tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let's go out into the field. So they both went out into the field and Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness when I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day. Behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm the Lord, do so to Jonathan and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, For he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon and you'll be missed because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was at hand and remain beside the stone heap. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So David hid himself in the field. And when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. the king sat on his seat, as at other times, on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, something's happened to him. He's not clean. Surely he's not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now, if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman! Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. And as soon as he had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, "'Go in peace.'" Because we have sworn, both of us, in the name of our Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. This is God's Word. We've been talking about living in the gap between promise and reality. We've been talking about what it's like when you are forced To handle life experiences that you don't want, or that you don't expect, or that you think you don't deserve. This takes on new meaning for David in the next section of chapters that we're going to be looking at. In chapters 20 to 23, David has to flee. Okay, when we find David, he is running away. He has to run away. It's interesting because Goliath, right, just a few chapters ago, was toppled by David's faith. So why is Saul besting him? Right? Why is that? I mean, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of of David dealing with this reality of of facing a nine-foot giant and triumphing easily, relatively speaking, over someone that he has no business fighting, and yet with Saul, he finds himself running away. In this, David would be tempted... I used to be tempted to cry out to God, God, wait a minute, you promised me. God, you promised me the kingdom. You promised that I was going to take over. And it's one thing for me to show up in the court and then have to sit and serve the king while you do whatever you're doing with him. I can sit and wait. But now all of a sudden, why do I have to run? Why do I have to flee? Why I mean this is not consistent with your promises. God, where are you? What are you doing? feel that way today? I mean, I think all of us, especially when life begins to fall apart or just general frustrations, do you ever just feel like, God, what is going on? Like, why am I in the dark here? I feel like I have no clue what you're doing in my life or why you're doing it. I think sometimes even we feel like saying, God, look, I've been serving you. I'm, I'm doing my best here to try to get my life right. I'm trying to show up to church. I'm trying to be involved. I'm trying to figure out ways to order my life at work or at home with relationships around you and still, like, God, come on. Can I get some relief? If you're in that place, if that's where you are tonight, you need this text. Because you are right where David is. You are right. You're exactly where, where David is in terms of his struggle. And it's interesting because in the midst of David's frustration, in his confusion, God sends him a gift. God sends David a gift. And this gift gives him assurance, comfort, hope, and faith. The gift is Jonathan. It's Jonathan. It's a good friend. To anchor David in the midst of an increasing disintegration of his own life, God gives Jonathan and his friendship is a gift to David. And as we look at this friendship, as we see the way that Jonathan friended David, we're going to see a call to each of us to learn how to friend each other. And we're also going to see that we need to lean on our friends when we're tempted to give up. Okay, that's where we're going. And so we're going to see three stages in the friendship of Jonathan. These are the three points for your outline we're going to see his friendship promised second his friendship tested and then third his friendship confirmed okay so promised tested and then confirmed so first let's look at the friendship promised this is verses 1 to 23 Jonathan promises David in this beginning in the opening you know scenes of this passage he promises friendship, and as he promises these things, we see what true friendship is. Okay, there's really four things that characterize the, the, the friendship that Jonathan has for David. Okay, the first thing is service. Look at verse four. Verse four, Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I'll do for you. Okay, we see the heart here of a servant. Jonathan is committed to meeting David's needs. That's what friends do. Right? Good friends meet the needs of their friends. And so we see in Jonathan humility. We see him laying aside his own rights. I mean, he's the crown prince and he's taking care of his rival here. And so we see humility. We see service in Jonathan. Secondly, we see honesty. Look at verse 9. Jonathan said, Far be it from you, if I knew what was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? So we see that honesty, that real friendship is willing to be honest. Jonathan is willing to tell David even the difficult things. Even if there's bad news, Jonathan's willing to tell him. Third, the third thing that characterizes Jonathan's friendship is love. Love. Look at verse 8. This is David speaking to Jonathan. He says, Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. That word kindly, it's, it's one translation of a Hebrew word that kind of is famous. It's famous enough to mention. It's the Hebrew word hesed. I don't know if some of you may have heard that word before, hesed. And it's this really powerful and robust, it's kind of one of these words, if you look it up in the dictionary, it's got a really long definition because it's used so often in the Bible, and it's used to describe so many different kinds of things. Okay, love is one way it's defined, kindness in our text but it's more than that I mean what we're talking about we talk about hesed and again this is the description of of Jonathan's friendship to David what we see is love compassion and affection but with the additional components of loyalty reliability and faithfulness okay so what do I mean by that well it's it's not just love but it's it's loyal love okay so it's love mixed with loyalty okay it's not just kindness but it's dependable Kindness. Okay, the kindness that you can depend on. It's not merely affection, but it's affection that's committed itself. Okay, it's committed affection. And so I think, I mean, it's wrapped up. It's definitely connected to this word in verse 8, covenant. And These are things that flow from a covenantal chesed, a covenantal love. You know, it's not just, hey, I love you. I'm here with you. I'm supporting you but it's a commitment. I am committing to love you. I'm committing to these things and to treat you in a certain way. Okay, and that's what what characterizes real friendship. We also see in this that this sort of love swears to its own hurt. Okay, look at verse 13. Jonathan says, But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that you may go into safety. Okay, and so what we're seeing here is that this love, this committed love, Jonathan is calling a curse upon himself if he doesn't fulfill this sort of love. If he goes back on it and doesn't love David this way, Jonathan is willing to take on the curses of God. Okay, so he is saying, I'm, I'm committed to this so much that I deserve to be punished, and I will welcome the curse of God even if I fail to live this way to you. And so we see Jonathan promising his friendship. The last thing that characterizes Jonathan's friendship. So we have service, honesty, love. The last thing is, it's faith. Faith. Verse th- you know, twenty-three. And as for the matter between you, the, the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So what we see here is that Jonathan isn't just committing to David, but he's committing to God. He's committing to love David before the face of God. It's like he's saying, as God is my witness, I will love you this way. He's got faith in God. He, he brings God up and he promotes God in his friendship with David. And I just think, boy, you, you, you think about that. Don't, don't you want to have a friend like that? I mean, really. I mean, wouldn't you want to have somebody that, was, that you knew served you and met your needs, that was honest with you, that was honest in a way that showed love, (laughs) you know, was truly committed to loving and caring for you, and then was and promoted faith, like was an encouragement to your own faith, your own walk with God. I mean, you think about what this would have meant for David. You know, in his disintegrating world, there was this one space in his life that he could still count on. You know, there was at least one place where he could go that was anchored, that was secure, that was predictable. And that was Jonathan. I mean, it's interesting because in verse 8, David literally puts his, hands, or puts his life into Jonathan's hands. And he says, if there's guilt in me, kill me yourself. Why should you bring me to your father? He's saying, deal kindly with me. Because he knows if Jonathan turns on him, he really has no hope. If Jonathan and Saul are after him, David is in trouble. And so, I guess, where do these friends come from? Thought about that? I mean, if you have a friend that's like this, someone that you've been thinking about as I've described this kind of friendship, I mean, where does that come from? eharmony.com? Maybe it starts there. I mean, how do you get one of these people? eBay, right? Craigslist, local, right? Because if it's eBay, you might find across the country. No, I mean, where, where do these things? I mean, I mean, maybe you find the beginnings of one in a community group, right? Maybe it's somebody that you've known for a long, long time. How do you get someone <laughs> to be this way for you? I think, at least in my experience, it starts with honesty. It starts with you getting real with someone else. I mean, I think really, I can remember in my own Christian life early on, I remember I had a friend that I met as I was going to church, and he and I were, were just, we, were, we began to be friends. And I remember one, I think it was one Sunday, we were listening to a sermon, and it was a sermon on friendship. And it was a sermon that was describing what is possible. With true deep Christian friendship, something called you know the Bible calls fellowship, like having real deep abiding unity between two people. This is kind of friendship that Jonathan has for David, and we I remember leaving that sermon, like that service, and we kind of looked at each other and we said, I mean I don't know this is kind of silly, but we just said, you know what I I want this friendship, and, and I want it with you. And. We both felt that way, and so we just decided, okay, we're going to try to have this kind of friendship between us. And what did we do? We just began to talk. And we began to share the things that were... I began to share the stuff I was struggling with, the things that were going on in my life, the things that I really needed help for, the things I felt like I couldn't talk to anybody about. Because, shoot, if people knew about this, I'd be you a know, laughingstock or I'd be ashamed. And again, I think, I mean, honesty is the key. I think being this kind of friend to someone else enables them, you create a space where they can reciprocate. If you commit to someone else's needs and you are honest with them, um, you actually love them and show that you're committed to them and that you promote their faith, that's the road. That's the road that leads to these kind of friendships. And I know it's scary. I mean, especially if you think about starting that now because you don't have it. You know, the older you get, the sillier the sillier I think you feel You know, having that kind of conversation with somebody. I mean, it, it kind of freaks you out, right? Because what if they reject you or what if they think you're an idiot or what if they think that the way you're talking about it sounds stupid? I mean, I don't know, these are thoughts that I have all the time. But there's nothing like being known. You know, I mean, it's one thing to be loved where you have a sense that people care about you, but it's something entirely different to be known and loved. You know, when you get a chance to share those things that you're dealing with and you share them and the love doesn't go away and the person doesn't freak out. And the person stays committed to you. I mean, that by itself almost lifts you up into heaven. To think that all of a sudden now you're not alone. To think that all of a sudden there's someone that knows all this stuff and still cares. I mean, it gives you hope. It makes you think, wow, like this really might be, like Jesus might be real after all. think, yeah, and again, it starts with honesty, and so I'd encourage you, if you have these friendships already or don't, I mean, that you'd pursue being honest with someone in your life. With someone in your life, let someone in, and you'll begin to see this power, you'll begin to experience this love, and I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. And so this is the love Jonathan promises to David. Now, this is also a love that gets, or friendship that gets tested. That's our second point, right? This, this uh, friendship of Jonathan that he promises gets tested sort of in the fires of his father. This is verses 24 to 33. It's funny because what starts out with Jonathan and David, it's a test of Saul, right? It's, it's a test to see where Saul's heart is and what, how he really feels about David. But when Saul reacts... Saul actually becomes the one who tests Jonathan's friendship to David. Okay, so this testing of the friendship ends up, uh, ends up as a result of, of Saul's reaction. And I think this is good because this is kind of what happens. When the chips are down, that's when we find out, I mean, what our character really is, right? We find out what our friendship, how genuine our friendships really are when things go bad and we actually need to demonstrate that we are serious about the things that we promise. And that's what happens to Jonathan. So before we get into Jonathan's test, we need to look at Saul and see his reaction. I mean, what we see is his rage. When Jonathan finally explains where David goes, Saul sees right through it, and in a blinding rage, he bursts out. And, and, And really, the issue with Saul, it's interesting. One commentator said this. One commentator said that behind Anger is always sorrow. I thought I've never heard that before. That's interesting. He said that there is, that behind, you know, when someone lashes out with deep rooted, with, with hostile anger, there is always sorrow that's the basis for that anger. And it's usually sorrow that the angry person doesn't want to admit to. Does that ring true? I mean, when you fly off the handle, Right? Maybe what you're you're sad that you're losing something. You're sad that you're not being perceived in a certain way, or you're sad that things aren't going to work out the way that you want them to, and that's what causes the anger for Saul. I mean Saul has just realized that he's lost his son. He's lost his son, Jonathan. And he's lost him to David. The one that he is trying to kill. You know, it's like Saul is coming to grips with the reality that David is slipping through his fingers, and my son is helping him. You know, so whether or not Saul is righteous in his anger, right? I mean, he's clearly not. It's just important for you to see this because it helps make Saul real. I and mean, for, for me, it ties into my own heart. I mean, I know that when I get mad and angry and lash out, you know, it's because it's I'm frustrated, right? I'm sad that I'm losing something that I wanted. Um, and so, in a sense, Saul fails the friendship test, right? If we run back through those four things, you know, of serving, honesty, love, and, and faith. I mean, let's look at Saul. Saul's clearly not serving here. He's selfish. Right? He's not being honest. He's lying to protect himself. It's interesting because in verse 31, he says to Jonathan, don't you realize that neither you nor your kingdom shall be established so long as David walks the face of the earth? Right? It sounds like he's, he's looking after Jonathan. Right? And then two verses later, in verse 33, he picks up his spear and hurls it at him. Right? So we know that Saul is not being honest. Saul's not out for Jonathan. He's out for himself. Right, so there's no honesty here. He's clearly not loving, because he's not caring for anybody but himself. You know, and really, I mean, he's got no faith in God. Right? There is no sense of him thinking that God might know a little better than he how his life ought to be. And I think that's the core. Because it's not that Saul doesn't believe in something. It's just he doesn't believe in God. One author said this in his rage, with blue veins bulging from his neck and red flush rising in his face, he shouted at Jonathan the only four words that mattered to him. The four words that showed what this was really all about. You and your kingdom. I mean, that's what Saul cared about. It was all about for him. It was the kingdom. It was his dynasty. It was his legacy. It was his career, if you will. It was his status. And I just think, wow, I mean, well, what is it for you? And what is it for you that drives you into anger when you feel like you're not going to get it? Is it a relationship? And is it your career? Things that you're pursuing after so hard that you're willing to ignore just even moral decency, right? That you're willing to ignore rational thinking. That you're willing to ignore I mean, just the way that I mean, you're willing to ignore anything else to pursue. I mean, Saul's trapped. He's trapped and he knows it. But he can't fight against it. And so the question is, you know, so this is sort of painting the picture of this testing period for Jonathan. As Saul rises up, hurls a spear, challenges him. You know, Jonathan, how's he going to respond? Is he going to cave in? Will he succumb? I mean, it's interesting, Saul even offers to dispatch David. Hey, bring him to me. And I'll take care of him. You know, that way... You can clear out your rival. And you can keep your hands clean. I'll do it. It's almost like Saul is saying, Jonathan, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you just obey me in this. If you just do this one thing for me, I'll give you everything you could ever hope for. I'll give you the throne. I'll give you the kingdom. It'll be you who sits on it. It'll be your legacy, your dynasty. You'll have the job you wanted. You'll have the fame. You'll have the accolades. You'll have whatever relationship you want. If you'll just bow down to me, if you will take my idol on and serve it with me. How does Jonathan respond? He triumphs. He triumphs. Jonathan's character is proven by his actions. He's tested and he stands the test. And we see those same four things come out of Jonathan's response to Saul. Verse 32, we see him serving David. Verse 32, Jonathan answered Saul, his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? He is defending David in the court. Before everybody else, he's standing up for David. Honesty. Verse 33. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. So he finally has the truth. Love. I mean, verse 33, a spirit hurled at him. You see that Jonathan's love is putting him in the place of danger. He's willing to sacrifice his own safety to be a real friend to David. And then you see in verse 34... You see his response. He rose from the table in fierce anger, ate no food the second day of the month where he was grieved for David. So you see here, it's not just this thing that he blew up and had this big theatrical thing and they all sat down and had a meal. Jonathan stood up for David and took a stand against his father to defend David. So we see, I mean, here's what's interesting is that What is Jonathan thinking? Like, what would motivate Jonathan to side with David over Saul? From one perspective, I mean, what does David have to offer? Right, if David's over here saying, hey, Jonathan, you really need to be my friend, be on my team, be on my side, right? Jonathan might say, well, okay, well, what do you got? (laughs) Like, why should I, you know, why should I follow you? What does David have? He's got a promise. Well, see, Jonathan, I'm chosen to be the next king. Um, Samuel the prophet, I don't know if you've seen him lately, but he came, called all my family together, all my brothers came, he said, no, 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 don't you have anybody else. I showed up. He said, this is the one, and he poured oil on my head, and, and this thing happened, the spirit rushed on me, and, and no, 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 I'm, I'm taking over. I'm the next king. you know. And, and Jonathan's... You know, if you want to be a devil's advocate, he's looking at David going, okay, but (laughs) what do you have? You got anything else? You're running away. What gives? And over here, you've got Saul saying, Jonathan, what are you thinking? Jonathan, come on. And what does Saul have? Saul's got the throne. Saul's got the status. He's got the title. He's got the people. He's got the army. He's got everything. You know, think about this. So for Jonathan, Jonathan is looking at (laughs) all the kingdoms of the world on this side. And on this side, he's got someone with a promise. The only thing that could motivate Jonathan to side with David is faith. Jonathan saw the work of God. Jonathan saw David's life and believed in the work of David and the work of God in his life right for every example that i could give you of proof that god is at work in the world you might be able to offer another example with another explanation that has nothing to do with god for the same sort of outcome okay someone rises to success overnight you know someone wins a football game and they give glory to god right what about the other side i mean you know there's always other explanations you know so even cuz you know maybe you're thinking yeah well David beat Goliath. David had said in the earlier chapters, everything that he did, God was with him and he prospered. But it's not like there weren't other explanations for those things. And so, even looking at all the things that David was doing, Jonathan still had to believe. He had to look and he had to believe. And that's what's interesting about faith. Right? We can offer evidence for Christianity. I can offer you all kinds of evidence that would prove that Jesus lived, that would prove that Jesus died, that would give you incredible historical proof that Jesus rose from the dead. But where it ultimately leaves you is that you're going to need to make a decision about whether or not you believe it's true and if you're going to follow it. And what's amazing is that Jonathan walked by faith. He believed the promise of God. And that's what drove him. That's what drove him. I'd invite all of you to have that same faith. The evidence is there. I mean, where it comes down is who do you want to live your life for? Do you want to live your life for Jesus? I mean, that sounds kind of cheesy and corny. I mean, it's not meant to be a pat answer. Do you want to spend the rest of your life honoring the one who came to die for you and then rose again to set you free? If you're stuck in some of the idolatry that Saul is stuck in, or right? if you're stuck with anger, if you're stuck with needing the status or the career or the relationship or whatever it is, and you just want to get out, Jesus says, if you come, the truth will set you free. I mean, that's the offer. It just takes faith. You see, to say, Jesus, okay, I'm going to commit to following you. Even if you're not sure yet, you can say this. You can say, Jesus, you know what? I still don't know. I have a lot of questions. I'm not sure if there are answers for those questions. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to commit to you insofar as I understand what you're saying in my life. And I'm going to try to follow you as best I can with what I can understand. So, I mean, if you're ready to do that, you can do that. That's a commitment to Jesus. Okay, you don't have to necessarily go all in tonight. I mean, you can Right? But if you want to say to Jesus, Jesus, you know what, there are lots of things I have questions about. There are things that I'd like to get answers for. I'll pursue those things. But until I get answers, I'm going to start trying to believe in you. I'm going to see, I'm going to try you and see if this will work out in my life. I mean, we've had people at Uptown come to Jesus just in that way. Where they've said, you know what, I just decided to try Jesus and my life worked out better. Right? Not that all their whole life turned around, but that they, they begin to have peace, they begin to have security, they begin to have sort of a sense of community. Those things meant everything. So Jonathan's faith, it's a call for us to have faith. And let me just say that what Jonathan ends up doing, in Jonathan's response, I wish I could go into this in great, great detail, but Jonathan ends up, because of what Jonathan does at this moment, before his father, in the court, Jonathan ends up giving Israel 80 years of prosperity. Okay, because if you were Jonathan and you had any brain, you didn't do what Jonathan did. Okay, if you are the crown prince, if you are next in line, you get rid of your rivals, you don't step aside, you don't go out of your way to protect your rivals. You just don't do that. And so what Jonathan does, he turns the entire ancient Near Eastern world upside down in how he responds to Saul. Nobody would have blamed Jonathan for following his dad. Nobody would have. Because that's just what you did. It's in the Bible even. There were kings that did this. They took over and they killed the descendants of, of the guy they took over for. And that's everywhere. And yet Jonathan because he chose to walk by faith and trust that God had chosen someone else and because he decided to be okay with that he turned the entire nation of Israel upside down and enabled David to take the throne I can't tell you how important that is Saul was running Israel into the ground if David didn't take over I mean, who knows what would have happened. There may have been no nation of Israel after 40 years. Now, the point of this um, is that, well, I guess there was one author who said this. One author said this. He said, "Um, it's tough to apply this passage today because we're not living on the edge of a dynastic transition Okay, a dynastic transition is kind of a weird word. You know, we're not living today in the sense where there's kings that are battling for power, right? And one's about to take over for the other. And since we're not living in that same situation Jonathan and David were in, it's hard for us to apply this passage. I'm thinking, no way. Are you kidding me? Of course we're in the middle of a dynastic transition. Like, really, I mean, we are in the middle of a, of a change of regimes, Right? There are two people that are, that, are, that are vying for authority in the world today. At least two. I mean, there's a lot more, but I mean, there's two at the head. Right? With the resurrection of Jesus, he said, All power and authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Right? He said, The kingdom of God has surely come upon you. The Bible says that Jesus must reign. That he is reigning right now. And so, King Jesus is alive and reigning now. There are lots of other forces that are at work. Satan is alive and well. Satan is also reigning over certain people. Satan and Jesus are like co-rulers and they're fighting for ownership of the world. Now let me tell you this. Every time, I mean get this, every single time you make a decision to side with faith versus what you can see, to side with faith versus the idols of your heart, right? To side with faith versus putting a relationship before God, putting a career before God, putting anything, you know. Every time you're over here and you give yourself away, every time you love someone else, that you're honest with someone else, every time you have faith, every time you you serve someone else, when you do that, the reign of Jesus takes a step farther. Okay? I mean, this is so eminently practical. We are living in a world where the power of God and the power of the world are fighting. And when you make the decision to follow the power of God, every single time you do that, the power of Jesus and the reign of Jesus grows. Every time you do that, in any relationship, at your office, with your family, with your neighbors, every time you serve, you love, you're honest, and you have faith, the reign of Jesus grows in the world. That's big. That means everything that you do is important. Everything. So Jonathan's faith or his friendship was tested. Our last point is that his friendship was confirmed. His friendship's confirmed. Verse 34 to 42. Jonathan is reunited with David. And the reunion is even sweeter. Because where I think David had a legitimate question about how, how Jonathan was going to respond, no more question. Right? It's the difference between Adam and Jesus, if you can put that around your, in your brain. The only thing sweeter than a covenant promise is a covenant confirmed. And we see here the same four things in their reunion. We see their service. In verse 41, David rose from beside the stone. He fell on his face and bowed three times. He knows that even now, his life is in Jonathan's hands. And Jonathan takes care of him. Jonathan is still going to serve David. We see honesty in verse 41 at the end. Um, It says that they wept with one another, David weeping the most. This is honesty. And this is so wonderful. I mean, it's awful that they're weeping because of why they're weeping, but it's so healthy for us to see these two men of God weeping together. Not just because it helps men to be a little bit more in tune with their emotions, um, but more so because what it does is it paints the realistic picture of what it means to follow God. Okay, David is about to go through hell. Okay, he is about, he's going to run, he he has to run. Okay, he's running away. Saul's going to pursue him. Saul's going to try to kill him. At every point in time, David is going to be in trouble. He's going to have to go through the valley of the shadow of death. And Jonathan won't be there for him. Jonathan's going to be stuck back with his dad. Staying in the court. And it's just helpful for us to realize that the Christian life doesn't mean that everything is going to work out okay in this life. Okay, so I just don't want you to have a misnomer. If you're coming to Jesus... Boy, there are unbelievable blessings, unbelievable confidence. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but it doesn't mean that everything in your life is going to turn out the way you want it to. Okay? The reality is there will be weeping. This life is filled with suffering, with misery, with frustration, with danger. And those things are part of a life that follows God. Okay? And so we see the honesty of that in their weeping. But we also see love. We see them kissing, embracing this is the only kiss that's mutual in the, in the books of Samuel. After chapter 10, verse 1, it's the only kiss uh, that's here. And so, what we see here is this is true, genuine, heartfelt, personal love. They continue to support each other and encourage each other. And then we see an act of faith in verse 42. Jonathan says to him, go in peace. Go in peace. Peace. Peace? I mean, one author said, given the circumstance, Jonathan's words are almost laughable. Come on. Peace? Really? That's the opposite of what David's going to have. And yet Jonathan says, go in peace. I know. He just didn't know what to say. and so He's like, ah, go in peace, David. See ya. Sorry about... No. I mean, this author said, we know that Jonathan is serious, though. He's not claiming that all is peaceful or that David will not meet danger on in every hand. Jonathan is saying that David can go in peace because there is peace between the two of them. What Jonathan is saying to David is, he's saying, look, you may run away because I'm next in line and I'm holding the fort. Like, I've got it covered while you're gone. And you're the next king you can have peace, David, because I've got your back. And God is in the middle of this. Lainey, my wife, um, with four kids, thinks a lot about peace. Um, Especially if we knew our four kids. Um, She's got this quote that's up in the kitchen. It says this, Peace, It doesn't mean to be in a place where there is no noise, trouble, or hard work. Because if so, there would be no peace. Um, But it doesn't mean that the place where there's no noise, trouble, or hard work. It means to be in the midst of those things and still be calm in your heart. That's good. And it's interesting, this idea of faith. In verse 8, David trusted Jonathan with his own life. What we see now, though, Is that Jonathan trusts David with his entire future. And this is kind of strange. Because Jonathan is saying to the one who's running away, the one who has nothing, right? The one who's fleeing from the one who has everything, will you please remember to be kind to me and to my offspring, to me and to my descendants? I mean, why is he saying that? Because Jonathan knows that God is going to bring David back. Jonathan knows that David is going to take the throne because God's going to put him there. And so Jonathan is speaking faith into David almost. He's saying, David, don't worry. don't worry God can be can be trusted. He'll make good on his promises and so. I mean, all these things wrap up and they show us this amazing picture of Jonathan's friendship. And I wanted to placate this stuff before you. I wanted to bring it out and show it to you so that you could get a picture of what real friendship is. Because, again, this is the kind of friend that you need to be. Right? And this is also the kind of friend that you need. These are the sorts of ideas that will shape and mold the community here in our church to make it something that really is transformative, that really brings joy and happiness no matter what you're going through. If we can friend each other like this, everything will change. But I want you to see Jonathan's friendship because it's also a picture. It's a picture of the friendship that God has and what he offers to you in Jesus. I mean, think about this. (laughs) Think about that God would come and want to friend you. The the name Jonathan, it means God has given. That's what it means. So Jonathan is this amazing picture of Jesus, right? Because there's no greater picture of the giving of God than Jesus. Right? God so loved the world that He gave His Son that anybody who believes in Him wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. So in service, right? Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Honesty. Jesus is honest enough with all of you to say, you know what? You need God in your life. And if you have Him in your life, you need more of Him in your life. Right? Jesus is honest enough with us to tell us where we're broken and where we need to grow. Love. My goodness, greater love has no one than this. than he laid down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus does. That's what he offers you. He offers you his own sacrifice if you accept his friendship. And then faith. Jesus trusted God through his own death. Trusting that God would raise him from the dead and also trusted that this is exactly what you needed. You needed him to die for you. You did. We all did. There's sin in our lives that we need, that that needs to get paid for. And Jesus' death pays for our sin. And then we need His resurrection because His resurrection sets us free. His resurrection gives us the power and the new life and the spirit that enables us to live in that new life. And so here's what's kind of neat, is that, if you're not this kind of friend today, if you're not being this sort of friend to other people, I'm going to venture to say that what you need to do is you need to understand how much Jesus is a friend to you. You need to dwell and spend time thinking about His love for you, His honesty with you, His faith right his his desire to serve you if you think about those things and you understand how much jesus loves you it will fill your heart up with love 1 john 4:18 we love because he first loved us and when you think about the love of god when you understand the love of god god's own love is poured out into your hearts and it fills you up to overflowing. So if you're not loving this way, if you're not a friend like this, you need to come back to Jesus. If it's for the first time or if it's the 101st time. Because as you dwell on His love, you will experience it in greater measure, and that's the love that you share with others. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you for giving us this amazing picture of what real friendship is. And thank you that as we think about Jonathan's commitment to David, we can see in that your commitment to us. Lord, would you please help people tonight in this room experience this love. Help them to sense and feel your love flowing into their hearts. Help them to realize again and in a fresh way the death and the resurrection of Jesus for them, the commitment that Jesus has to them so that they wouldn't feel alone and so that their hearts would be filled up, so that they would have love that could spill out onto the lives of others. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. that they're sorry, and that they're going to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and start a relationship with you or renew a relationship with you. And Lord, for those of us who are Christians, help us. Remind us of this glorious truth that you are with us in the midst of everything and you are working things out for our good. And help us, God, to praise you while you're doing it. Use us. And send us into the city to be a blessing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.